We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome back in. You were listening to the July 20th, 2018 episode of the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a word of his podcast dedicated to answering all of your fantasy football questions and brought to you by the folks over at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. I'm your host, Jeremy Hart, at Fantasy Gumshoe, and joining me today on the show is the king of foosball, the champion of NFL mock drafts, the advocate of the fantasy peoples, the famous tilter of late week Marshawn Lynch injury news, and the co-host of the Fantasy Feast, the Swolecast, and the Sharp Football Podcast. He's 37-1 in the ring with 36 nightcaps, and, of course, the senior football editor over at theworldofroto.com. That's Roto World. Welcome to the show, Silva Day, Evan. You can find him on the tweets, at Evan Silva. It is great to have you back on the Mailbag Show. Evan, my man, what's good? What's going on, man? So, I'm 37-1. and one. Who did I lose to? <laughs> I was hoping you might ask that, and uh, I, you know, I'm, you might get a little bit mad at me for this one, Evan. So I listened to to the recent fantasy feast, and I heard you talking about how you were going to bring Ross down. And so I, gosh, I, I've got one for Ross, man. I've got one for Ross. 
Yeah, he wasn't too intimidated by my trash talk, that's for sure. <laughs> well, just fantastic stuff that you guys have got uh, got going on over there. Just some fantastic guests on a weekly basis. And we're going to try to do, uh, do that this on this show as well. So we're going to answer all the off-season questions, whether it's Dynasty Trades, Player and Team Outlooks, off-season prep, you name it. But before we dive in, as usual, Evan, you and I shared a draft room recently. And, you know, it's best ball season, right? Like one of the best things about best ball season is, believe it or not, talking about some of these best ball drafts. I mean, I just listened to uh, the the first show of the season for the Swolecast. You guys talked about your best ball strategy there. So let's dive in just a little bit here. Uh, You know, some of the stuff that they have over at FFPC, I mean, the format is untouchable. Contests are growing here over at Draft. MFL 10s, man, they're easier than ever to manage. This thing is just blowing up, so let's get at it here. You recently... um, Drafted from the 1.11, I was in the 1.2. I know, I, I believe I remember correctly, you don't like drafting from the end as much here, but I know one thing's for certain. You got Melvin Gordon, and then you swung around, and this was on draft, and got Kareem Hunt at the 2.2. So did you take Hunt because of the .5 PPR format and weren't, weren't necessarily expecting him to fall there? Or, uh, you know, that was good value there. And then you also were able to wrap around and take Darius Geis and Alex Collins in the third and fourth. So you went RB heavy with your first four picks and then just pummeled the heck out of wide receivers after that, though. I really like the approach. Is that something that you kind of find yourself doing on draft a lot? Yeah, in this particular draft, I was happy to start with four straight running backs. Um, and that's something I've been doing a lot on draft because it's so touchdown heavy without the full uh, PPR. I was surprised to see Kareem Hunt available at 2.02 because he usually goes late in the first. And, I mean, I can't not pull the trigger on him there. Even though I think that there are some concerns about his workload with Spencer Ware coming back, Charkandrick West was very involved uh, last year in two-minute situations on, on third downs. Um, they signed a couple of veteran running backs as well, uh, Damian Williams and Kerwin Williams. You know, I'm not sure that he's going to have as many carries as he did last year. And there have been some concerns off the field that haven't really generated uh, very much much attention. But I do think that there's a small chance that he faces a short suspension. Um, you know, the NFL kind of levied and drops these suspensions at their own discretion. You, sometimes you don't even know when, when they're going to come. And if you know, if, if a player is doing something that the NFL deems to be putting the league in a negative light, uh, that can come back and and, and, uh, and lead to some missed time. So that is one of my concerns. I'm not saying that it's likely. I really don't know that it's likely at all. But I do think that there is a small possibility of that. I have not been aggressively drafting Kareem Hunt uh, anymore, but I am pulling the, him the, tr- on, the trigger on him every single time at 2.02. there. Yeah, it's funny. I found myself overly exposed to LaShawn McCoy of all guys, and I didn't even like him in the offense, but I just found him, you know, he was just too damn cheap where he was going, you know, the latter latter part of the second, early third. It was like, you know, if you're drafting from the 1.1 to the 1.4, you're taking LaShawn McCoy on the wraparound all day. And so once we got the news break, it's coincidental when you talk about Kareem Hunt, they're falling to 2.2. Now, you know, anywhere I took LaShawn McCoy, it's just like Spencer Ware, Spencer Ware, Spencer Ware. <laughs> like just, you know, trying to get anything I can out of that backfield. Now, I drafted 1.2. Uh, predictably, I took DJ there, David Johnson. I rounded out 2 and 3 with AJ Green and T.Y. Hilton. Now, if Jarek McKinnon was there, I was taking him. 
him have been, but he wasn't. So do you find yourself getting JMIC exposure when you're drafting from the early range, or do you pi- bypass on that wraparound for maybe like a Joe Mixon or just sticking with the wide receivers there? Because, you know, it's kind of like they're on an island there. You know, Jarek McKinnon, Joe Mixon, and either you're bought into the hype or you're not. No, I mean, that's pretty much where you have to take Jarek McKinnon, near that 2-3 turn, just based on ADP, based on the running back heavy nature of the draft format. And look, we can nitpick Jarek McKinnon and talk about how he has risk of being a bust and he's never, you know, quote unquote done it before. But at the end of the day, we really don't know what's going to happen. We do know that he's in a great situation. We know that he was handpicked by Kyle Shanahan to be the 49ers feature back. This offense has great potential with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and Jarek McKinnon really has very little competition for work. I mean, the, the 49ers number two back right now is Matt Breida. A guy who went undrafted last year has never been a factor in the passing game at, at the college or the pro levels. He was genuinely bad in the passing game last year. And this, in, in this running back heavy best ball format, I'm really just trying to build stables at positions. And I'm totally fine with McKinnon being part of my running back stable, you know, part of my five man running back stable. And I know what it takes to get him. And that's a pick near that two, three turn. And if that doesn't work out, and I, ha- you know, I end up with Jordan Howard around that two, th- th- that two, three turn. I'm fine with that. Or Christian McCaffrey around that two, three turn. I'm fine with that too. Devontae Freeman. Um, you know, I've done this long enough to know that I know like what I don't know. And I'm really just trying to build these stables. There, there are things to like about Jarek McKinnon. There are things to not like about him, but I am totally fine with making him part of my RB stable. Um, and I, I, in every draft, I try to take at least four, really at least five, and sometimes six running backs. Yeah, and ADP is there for to, to be a tool and a guide, right? And a lot of times people are just, you know, ADB, ADP slaves, and, and it's not about that, right? To your point, getting that stable there so you feel good about each positional group there. Somebody I continuously have in my stable, Evan, is is Lamar Miller, also Rex Burkhead. I know you're all about the Rexy Burkhead there. Uh, Lamar Miller, though, you know, I, it's pretty popular not to like guys like Lamar Miller, Jay Ajayi. You know, I like these guys, especially if I'm I'm drafting in the latter part of the first round because I'm getting that first round running back, taking another wide receiver in rounds two and three, and then generally, you know, I'll use rounds four and five if I'm in that draft position to to get a guy like Lamar and Ajayi of sorts because, you know, look, they're they're a little bit of an arbitrage off the the beast up top there. They're guaranteed, solidified into workloads. You know, in 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 Houston, you you know they're going to run into some more positive game scripts this year. You know there's going to be some regression on the defensive side, and and so it's just like, sure, I'd rather take Lamar Miller in the sixth, and and sometimes you'd rather him be deep into the fifth. But if you're there at the four or five turn, you know it's one of those things where it's like if you're going wide receiver heavy up top, you you've got to depend on these types of guys. So am I wrong? Should I be looking elsewhere? Or are you fine with it? Uh, I think that Lamar Miller is fine near that 5-6 turn, but he's definitely not someone that I'm personally going out of my way to draft. Um, and it s- seems like some people are excited about Lamar Miller and like he's a sure thing that, that other people are missing. But this guy got outcarried by Alfred Blue 46-27 to in the last three games of last season. He was about to lose his job to Dante Foreman before Foreman blew out his Achilles, and he essentially did lose his job to Alfred Blue uh, late in the year. 
Um, so look, he, he's definitely a guy that I'm willing to mix in as an RB4, but he's also definitely not a guy I'm proactively going out of my way to draft. Uh, and the, the story is obviously different, I think, for Rex Burkhead. I think that he's got a higher floor and way more touchdown upside than Lamar Miller. Uh, so at this point, I, I'm taking Rex Burkhead ahead of Lamar Miller. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, whether you're reaching for the stars with Lamar like I have been a little bit or you're playing with the safe floor with Rex Burkhead, you're going to get high ceilings, you know, high floors, just steady content all year round here at Rotoviz. So sign up for a 30% discount to the Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage at rotoviz.com slash podcast. That subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content, and it also supports this very pod. You can support this pod by subscribing to and rating the Road of His Radio channel on iTunes. Do that, you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league hosted by our folks over at the FFPC. Just go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to hear if you are the winner on future episodes here. Also, if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Road of His writers and podcasters, simply email us, roadofhisradio at gmail.com. We'll go ahead and get that set up for you as well. And last but not least, if you're a fan of the show and you want to sub directly to the Fantasy Football Mailbag feed, do so. It takes hard work getting the show out every week. Do us a solid and hit that rate button. And, of course, if you have any questions you want answered on this show, email us, roadofhisradio at gmail.com, and we'll go ahead and get that set up for you. All right, Evan, I'll take a breath here and let's dive in for the QQs for the week. Here we go. Redraft. Antonio Brown, Madden cover. Antonio Brown, Madden cover. Should I avoid him now? Just kidding. But are you okay with Juju's price given the small body of work, or would you rather take another wide receiver in that range that's a top overall team target? Uh, if we're talking about like redraft here, um, first of all, I can't say that I've done any redraft season long yet this year. So I don't want to pretend that I have and – you know, I don't even like to do like rankings until I've actually done some some season long uh, redraft. But for best ball, I do like Juju in best ball, and I, I've talked to uh, Josh ADHD actually about Juju Smith Schuster specifically. He was more down on him. Um, I'm I'm fine with him. I think that he's got a good floor, especially with Martavis Bryant gone, and I think that he is a league winner if Antonio Brown gets hurt. So that's really the way that I'm viewing guys. And look, his statistical projection may not be as high as, you know, some players that he's going ahead of, but I'm okay with that because he's got that monster, monster ceiling. I mean, he was one of the most prolific uh, rookies in NFL history. Uh, And he plays a lot inside. And if he's going to continue to play inside, he gets a lot of great matchups at slot receiver. Um. So that that floor combined with that ceiling, if something kind of breaks right for him, you know, Antonio Brown gets hurt or your James Washington just can't get on the field or, you know, Vance McDonald uh, isn't a factor and they end up playing Jesse James more. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster is in a very, very good position uh, to at least, you know, come close to his ADP and maybe smash it if he catches a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things, and you kind of alluded to it when you were talking about stables, right, Evan? It's factually correct. 
that, yes, he has a small body of work. There was some high efficiency, and there is potential room for, for regression to the mean on that. But when you talk about a stable of wide receivers, like you can't take everybody at a value. You can't take everybody just based on somebody who did not have high efficiency. Like At some point, you have to say to yourself, you know, I shouldn't be discounting or knocking guys that happen to be efficient and use that as a peg against them. And so you want to take a couple of these guys. I mean, if AB does go down to your point, I mean, there's a lot of ambiguity, especially with that contract situation with Le'Veon Bell there. You know, anything can happen there. And I mean, if they have any type of need for another piece to open up that offense, especially in away games, I mean, Juju, you know, clearly is that missing piece. So I'm with you on Juju there as well. Um, best ball. So this is basically the best ball show, right? So do you guys have any thoughts on team stacking and best ball? It's been a topic of conversation with the GPP style best ball tournaments now. So what say you? Yeah, I'm definitely open to it based on how the draft goes, uh, to stacking offense that offenses that I think are going to have big years. You know, Julian Edelman, Rex Burkhead, Chris Hogan, Gronk, they're all guys that I like to draft and I'm telling, willing to take all of them on the same best ball team. Um, I find myself drafting a ton of Titans because, first of all, I like their values and where they go in drafts, and I think that that offense will take a leap this year. So I'm into Marcus Mariota, Rashard Matthews, Delaney Walker, Taewon Taylor. I've started to take a ton of Derrick Henry lately. I think that I was kind of missing the boat on him early on. Uh, I really want his t- touchdown upside uh, on, on more of my best ball rosters. Uh, the Titans have a solid offensive line. They have a really easy schedule. Uh, Derrick Henry is more likely to benefit from positive game scripts because of the easy schedule than Deion Lewis. Uh, and then at the end of the drafts, when I'm taking quarterbacks, I like to pair them up with receivers that I've already drafted. So if I took Emmanuel Sanders in the eighth round, let's say, I'm more likely to take Case Keenum in the 14th than, you know, I don't know, Blake Bortles or Derek Carr. Um, same goes for Marquise Lee and Blake Bortles. You know, if I take Marquise Lee in the 12th or the 13th, I'm more likely to take Blake Bortles in the 14th. Uh, and then I started to take a bunch of Jordy Nelson recently because I think he's got good touchdown upside and he's very cheap. Uh, he goes 10th round usually. Um, and then so when I take Jordy Nelson, uh, I'm more likely to take Derek Carr a couple rounds later. Just solid advice there. And and when you think of team stacking, I love that you brought up, you know, it's kind of like the reverse wraparound there with the QBs late with the guys you've already taken there. Just go ahead and peg the guy with them there. You know, you can't go ahead and because – I guess what I'm getting at is, is if you try to stack all the teams where the offenses went off last year, like you want to also attack high-octane offenses. Well, especially in these large-style tournaments like we see over in draft now, you're going to pay an arm and a leg if you want to stack New Orleans pieces, for instance, right? So I also like to just flat-out target some of those offenses that kind of had a bad year last year you can see things maybe turning around a little bit there you know it's pretty popular to, to pound on Miami right now um, but you know what I'm, I'm looking at guys like Devontae Parker Kenny Stills wrapping them with Kenny uh, Ryan Tannehill uh, and then you can reach way down the draft board there I mean New York Jets I mean you're just getting wide receiver targets for damn free almost you know when you when you talk about Robbie Anderson uh late in drafts if you want to take a 20th or an 18th round pick on guys like Quincy Inunua 
Um, even Terrell Pryor, right? Maybe he was hurt. Like, these are just guys, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater could potentially be the quarterback in New York, and, and if that happens, something like that, like, you can see New York at least being respectable for the price there. So sometimes when you're stacking, you, you know, take these teams that have a little bit more variance, but you don't have to pay an arm and a leg to get them as well. Evan, what are your best or worst purchases you've ever made? Uh, I'm not sure about worst purchases, but I think that my best purchases, my best purchases were actually two vehicles. Um, you know, people will say that a vehicle is, is a bad purchase because it starts <laughs> losing value immediately, but it has so much value in the short term that, um, you know, it, it, they've been very, very valuable to me. The, the first one was this old Volvo stick shift with a turbo button uh, when I was in it. <laughs> When I was in high school, I got a job working at Best Buy, and then I got a job uh, dishwashing at Tippin's Pie Pantry in St. Louis, and I saved up and bought this Volvo, and it gave me a ton of freedom and really allowed me to enjoy the last couple of years of high school, because before that, I was like having my mom or my stepdad drive me places, <laughs> and I'd have these horrible curfews like 11 at night, and that was just terrible. Um, and then I bought a Jeep Grand Cherokee with money that I made playing DFS a few years ago. Uh, before that in Chicago, I didn't even have a car because I didn't need one. Um, but now I have a daughter and I'm driving her around all the time to gymnastics, dance class, summer camp, uh, school to go to friends' birthday parties. I really have a blast just driving around and listening to music. Although uh, I do make her listen to football podcasts a <laughs> decent amount and she absolutely hates it. Yep, yep. Oh, hashtag dad life. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Oh my God. Evan, my first car, okay, we, I bought it for a dollar to make it a legal bill of sale. It was 1985 Chevy Cavalier. It was blue. It had rust coming out the doors, out the pores. The passenger side door did not open. So it was kind of like a Dukes of Hazard style. And my girlfriend, who I'm still with to this day, who I'm married to, she had to climb through the window to get in or come through through my side of the car. And you, and you, you talked about the borrowing the parents. My mom had this old, like, 86 Mitsubishi something or the other. I don't remember what it was. But it was like this puke color, right? And we literally called it the eggnog. So for a while there, until I bought that car for a dollar, I had to drive around and, and it was my friends that coined it the eggnog. So we we we, we understand the struggle together, man. We got this. We got this. Yes. Oh, man. All right. Best ball. I feel bamboozled by the Saints waiting until now to sign Shane Vereen after all these completed best ball drafts. When is it okay to take him and what does his presence do to that backfield in general all season long? Yeah, I don't really know why you'd want to take Shane Vereen. Um, I think he looked pretty washed last year with the Giants. There were indications even entering last year that he was washed up. Um, I actually kind of liked them last year. I took them real, real late uh, in some NFL 10s. Um, but, you know, he didn't he didn't do anything. No one wanted him in free agency uh, until just before camp. I mean, he generated no free agent interest. We literally had uh, on Roto World, you know, we, we – post like all free agent visits, all free agent interests, even if it's just an agent spreading it, you know, we'll put all, everything that we can find on Twitter or in newspapers on Roto World. We didn't have anything on him since last week 17, which, you know, that's telling no one was even looking at Shane Vereen. Uh, his skill set is not really in that Mark Ingram mold, um, and he's certainly not going to cut into Alvin Kamara's work. So 
I would rather take a late flyer on Terrence West or Jonathan Williams than Shane Vereen right now. Yeah, when I first saw this, Evan, I'm not going to lie here. My knee-jerk reaction was, oh, well, we got Shane Vereen here. I mean, we've seen it happen before. Maybe they're going to give Kamara more of that Ingram type of role and bring in, you know, the Boston Scott Shane Vereen guys. That, and, and now we're just going to solidify Kamara here, which means they're really just going gung-ho in this running game. And then, But, but then I kind of looked at it from your perspective as well, and it kind of made me think that, you know what, I mean, if they're going out and signing Shane Vereen here, I mean, I think that's more telling that they're not satisfied or content with what they have going back there right now. They clearly don't want to overwork Kamara, and if anything, it just further solidifies the fact that we can expect expect some more pass volume from, from New Orleans in general this year as well. True. Redraft, uh, will this Ricky Seals-Jones impact his playtime? Uh, I guess we're talking about the news of the arrest here. Okay, if so, is anyone else on the depth chart worth drafting for tight end value? Uh, no, in terms of other tight ends on the depth chart. You know, it's very hard for me to sit here and say with any kind of definitiveness that Ricky Seals-Jones is going to lose snaps or anything else because he got a little physical with a security guard because he had to pee. And they wouldn't let him pee. Uh, you know, with, with that said, like the NFL, like as we mentioned earlier, the NFL can suspend players at its own discretion. Basically, does not work off any past precedents. And if you just read the charges against Ricky Seals Jones, it sounds bad, even if what he did really wasn't very bad in all likelihood. Um, I think that at this point, though, he's just a 17th or 18th round pick in best ball leagues. I'm probably gonna. You know, I've taken a decent amount of them, but I'm probably not going to be getting them anymore. It was like a t- tight end three option. I'd rather have Austin Hooper or Vance McDonald at this point. Evan, I have had people on this show, on this very show, who have had to go to the bathroom so bad they couldn't hold it anymore in the middle of sporting games where they grabbed a water bottle and just took a piss. <laughs> you... <laughs> You you would you would think that Ricky Seals Jr. could Jones Jr. with RSJ you would think he could just you know do his deeds somewhere like get creative and just make it work without having to get aggressive with the security guard to go to the bathroom like I just gosh you know I just true uh, but you, you know when you're when you're right outside the bathroom and it's it's right there. You know? <laughs> That's what makes it hard. I think that NASCAR drivers actually, they just have to let it go, right? I mean, you can't, you can't stop and go to the bathroom. You can't just take a break during the race. I think you have to let it go if you're a NASCAR driver. <laughs> Aside from me crashing because I'm just, let's just, you know, I'm a safety first type of driver, right? Like that's hashtag dad dies life. But I've also got a small bladder. So like the odds that I would be able to make it through whatever it is, 300 something miles of race without having to just let it go to your point, like it just mm-hmm. s- slim to none. Like, yeah. And, and plus you need to be hydrated because it's hot as hell in those cars. So you're, you have a lot of fluids like running with running through you. I'm pretty sure they just let it go. <laughs> I can't, I can't even take my daughter to soccer practice without yelling at her because she has to go to the bathroom before we leave. And then we get to practice and of course she has to go again. And I say, you know what? I got to go too. Oh, jeez. All right, Evan. If you had to become an inanimate object for a year, what object would you choose to be? And let's say uh, not Rex Burkhead's helmet. Anything else? I I would probably be 
like some someone smarts computer so that I could steal ideas from them to make myself smarter after I come back and <laughs> return to the world. So I would say I would be Elon Musk's computer. How about that? That is probably the best answer. We've had all season. Nicely done. Redraft, what's the earliest you're willing to take Devontae Parker? Is he still a tier above Kenny Stills and Rashard Matthews? Uh, Evan, I'm I'm almost all in on Devontae here, so mm-hmm. settle me down. I don't think there's that much of a gap between these three guys, uh, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, Rashard Matthews. I do, I do think that Parker has the highest ceiling if everything kind of comes together for him and he stays healthy and he capitalizes on Jarvis Landry leaving because the Dolphins are missing 290 targets from last year's team. That's the second most in the league. And I do not think that Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola are going to soak all that up. Uh, and I don't even think they're going to replace Jarvis Landry's production one for one. He was you know, only 161 targets of, of that 290 total. Um, I think that based on the upside in the ADP, the earliest I'd be willing to take Devontae Parker's in the middle of the eighth round. Um, but I'd much rather just take Kenny Stills in the 10th and Rashard Matthews in the 11th back to back and be done with it. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I'm I'm chasing the upside with Devontae. You know, it's like once you get past the seventh round, even more so to ADP, I say, you know, just go go get your mm-hmm. guys at that point, right? And Devontae just happens to be one of those, you know, you know, it, it just seems like a sure as ever bet to get 130 targets and has, to your point, that breakout ability. Four years into it, I know, uh, but here we go. Uh, fuck, Mary kill, Evan, the fan base edition. So I put three on here. If you want to put another one in here, be my guest. Uh, we've got the Philadelphia Eagles, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Oakland Raiders, at least in my experiences, Evan, and you have clearly much more experience than I. These happen to be the fan bases that might give you a, a little bit of grief from time to time. Um, I mean, the Raiders fan base is special because their fans will, will literally threaten your life on social media if you say something critical about their team. So I'd have to kill them off in retaliation for all the death threats that I've gotten <laughs> over the years. Um, the Eagles fans are kind of crazy, but I don't think they're terrible. The, most of the Eagles fans that I interact with are actually kind of smart. So I'd probably marry them. And I guess I, I'd F the Jaguars fan base without any kind of a long, long-term commitment because they've been through so much. They, they've been through a lot, and I would not want to have to deal with all their baggage. I mean, I remember when the Jaguars fan base, they used to start wars swearing that Blaine Gabbert was good. Um, but I think they've actually been pretty tame lately. These fan bases whose teams are having success, they tend to be more grateful for that success. They pipe down a little bit. You know, they don't take it for granted and they appreciate it uh, because there are no guarantees that it will last and it's great for them in the moment. I wouldn't have broken that down any other way as well. You know, you know, the most scary thing about it, though, Evan, is when you talk about, you know, F and the Jacksonville Jaguars, they've got the most baggage. Like, you really don't want to bring them home long term like you decided to do with the Eagles fans. But that all of that baggage, like all of those experiences is what makes the Jaguars fans the best ones in bed. That's just the way it goes. And but the problem is, is because they're so good in bed, like they're it's like that Sharon Stone movie. What was that Sharon Stone? The like Basic Instinct. I don't remember which one it was, but yeah. So Basic Instinct and uh, Casino. Oh, that's oh my gosh, Casino! What it just highly. Oh, what an amazing movie there. Yeah. But yeah, so be be careful bringing the Jaguars. 
fans home to bed. Hey, Rotovis fans, allow me a brief second to tell you about our friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. The 2018 NFL season is almost here, and the FFPC has a format to suit every diehard's interest and budget. Whether it's best ball or super flex or classic managed leagues, there are drafts filling daily, starting at just a $35 entry fee. Jump into a slow or a live draft today. The FFPC also features the world's greatest contest in season-long fantasy football. Come to the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino Las Vegas this September and draft in the FFPC main event while spending opening NFL weekend in Vegas with hundreds of diehards just like you. Ah, can't make it to Vegas? Then draft online from the comfort of your home and compete for the massive $250,000 grand prize with over $2 million in total cash prizes in this year's contest. Do not miss the FFP experience, folks. Go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. Again, that's myffpc.com. PC.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Easy parking with Easy Trip, now available at Dundrum Town Centre. So you can now use your toll tags to park in our car parks. Simply register at easytrip.ie forward slash parking. Easy parking with Easy Trip. Dundrum, where more happens. All right, jumping right back in here, Evan. We've got a team outlook here, Detroit Lions. Both Detroit wide receivers are a little too pricey, but they, you know, can they both sustain value there at that price? Uh, do Ebron's missing targets make Luke Wilson a screaming value, or would those get divvied up between Jones and Tate? And is it the Jones role that I should be most scared of, given Kenny Galladay's potential role? Um, it's usually Marvin Jones in the fifth round and then Golden Tate in the sixth round. And then Kenny Galladay's usually, usually goes in the 11th or 12th. He started to creep up a little bit. He wasn't there in the 13th and 14th for a while. I think that all that is fair. You have a stable quarterback situation in Detroit. You have, and they play indoors. They have been a pass heavy team under Jim Bob Cooter. You mentioned, um, Eric Ebron's departure that frees up 86 target targets. Uh, and the Lions personnel should dictate that they go heavy on three receiver 11 personnel to get Golden Tate and Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay on the field together as much as possible. Uh, I'm not really into any of their tight ends. You have Luke Wilson, who you mentioned, Michael Roberts, Levine Toilolo, all in the mix for snaps. Luke Wilson actually blocked on most of the snaps in Seattle. He is an athletic guy. But he wasn't very productive in college. I mean, he had nine catches as a senior at Rice. He's never topped 22 catches in five years with the Seahawks. Um, Michael Roberts blocked on 81% of his snaps as a rookie. Levine Toilolo, who's six foot eight, he blocked on 73% of his snaps for the Falcons last year. Um, so I say target the receivers, uh, target Theo Riddick late, maybe mix in some carry on Johnson. But I think that there are much better late-round tight end picks than anybody uh, on the Lions. I, I think that Kenny Galladay does pose some threat to Marvin Jones, and because of that, Marvin Jones came out, when I came out of the gates in, in best ball leagues, he was my highest-owned player for a while because I could get him at like 6.08. Um, you can't really do that anymore. You know, he's going early, mid, fifth. Uh, so I've stopped getting him. I, I, I'm not 
as worried as uh, about Kenny Galladay as the, the like last year's splits would indicate. Um, if you look at you know the like the on-off tool, Kenny Galladay when he's in Marvin Jones production goes down because Eric Ebron left, and that frees up so much opportunity. Um, and I do not think that Luke Wilson or Michael Rob and Michael Roberts and, and Levine Toilolo are going to even come close to combining for 86 targets. So I think that there is a lot of oppor- plenty of opportunity still there for Marvin Jones, um, but I, he's not someone that I, I'm aggressively drafting any longer. Yeah, you, you can't bake you can't bank on a Kenny Galladay potential breakout and Luke Wilson having just screaming value there. Uh, you know, Luke Wilson, like he's fine if you just completely flew too close to the sun in best ball. Um, and, you know, he, he's a third tight end. That's what he is in a, in a best ball format there. But there was that one time, Evan, where he was 2.5 on DK and he scored a touchdown. That was pretty sweet. That was a nice day. I think that was like a Sunday prime slate, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. But we're, we're not going to have those anymore because it's going to be showdown, showdown, showdown. Yep. Jeez. All right. Evan, if you were given full reign to redesign the food pyramid, what would it look like? Well, I'm on a pretty big keto kick right now, so I would start with a lot of steak. And the entire food pyramid actually would probably be meat of some sort. Uh, it would basically be all of the steaks and meats that they come around and serve you at Fogo de Chao. So mm-hmm. I'd just fill up the pyramid with steak and meat products from a, a Brazilian steakhouse. So now are you also doing some of like like our boy Kitchen, right? Like he used to mm-hmm. share some pretty nice uh cream cheese <laughs> uh wow. images out on Twitter there with with the steak. So do you got all that going on too? Um he you know, he like some people try to be real diverse with the way that they approach it because they want like a lot of differentiation. But the way <laughs> that it works best for me is if I'm just eating a couple of things. Uh it's usually eggs and steak and meat and cheese. And I really try to limit to that and just drink a lot, a lot of water. I need to get on this, Avin. You know what? I definitely need to get on it. Like, you just described my perfect earth. Steak, eggs, and cheese. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm looking into this like this is going to happen. 100%. <laughs> Dynasty, uh, we got two here. Anthony Miller and Royce Freeman or Dion Lewis? Yeah, I think I, in Dynasty, I'd probably take my chance and shoot my shot on, on Royce Freeman because he's got the highest ceiling with a chance to become a real workhorse back on a team with a great defense that's going to be in a lot of run-friendly game scripts. Uh, Deion Lewis is obviously going to be very involved with the Titans, but uh, almost certainly only as a committee back with low touchdown upside. Uh, Anthony Miller is the wild card, though, if your roster dictates that you need a wide receiver more than a running back. I think that his skill set perfectly matches where Mitchell Trubisky likes to throw the football. Uh, and I really liked Anthony Miller as a prospect coming out of Memphis, even before the Bears traded their 2019 second-round pick to go up and get him. I mean, they, they paid a kind of a low-key bounty to get Anthony Miller in the draft. And I really like him as a player. You look at you know who has led Mitchell Trubisky's team in uh, receiving the last two years. have been slot receivers, Kendall Wright, last year for the Bears, and Ryan Switzer the year before uh, at North Carolina. And um, when I was editing uh, Warren Sharp's book, one thing that he noticed is that, or he noted that, was that uh, Mitchell Trubisky was highly, highly efficient, actually one of the best passers in the league when targeting uh, the middle of the field. 
Uh, and I think that that's where Anthony Miller is going to play predominantly. Uh, he's going to be the bear slot receiver. I'd be lying to you if I didn't if I told you I, I haven't been watching YouTube clips of old Mitch Trubisky and Ryan Switzer film. And I mean, just watching Trubisky just kind of put it in the back of the bread basket there, right? Mm-hmm. In the, oh my gosh, that placement! Like just I'm um, just looking at that with Anthony Miller as just a Bears fan. Like, no, I'm not biased, not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> Christian Kirk and Trey Burton or Evan Ingram. Well, Evan Ingram, I think you start out, he's got a big edge on the other guys in terms of draft capital. Uh, and he has a chance to become one of the league's best pass-catching tight ends. I think he was actually very inefficient as a rookie, but he has a ton of room for growth. And he may have the best chance to become a true long-term difference maker in the box score among these three. Trey Burton, I think, is going to be a fantasy starter in Chicago, but I'm not sure that he's got a ceiling as high as Evan Ingram's. Uh, and you could definitely tell yourself a story where Christian Kirk becomes, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's heir apparent at slot receiver in Arizona as soon as next year, forms a long-term connection with Josh Rosen. You know, it's all that kind of, all that kind of stuff is very conceivable. Um, so I think this is a tough question, but I'm going to go for the upside with Evan Ingram. With you here, uh, I don't see enough disparity between Freeman and Deion Lewis, even in redraft, to – um, justified taking Lewis over the pairing there, and I'll also take Evan Ingram. You know, the you alluded to the Chicago offense; it's enticing. But even as a Bears fan, like, look, we still don't know. We can't anoint it the next. Um, I almost said St. Louis, L.A. Right? You know, I I think Burton's going to be fine there, and Christian Kirk. Like, look, Fitz can still hang around for a couple more seasons. Why not at this point, right? So, yeah, I'll take Ingram on the, on that side as well. Uh, team outlook again: Is it a foregone conclusion? Rashad Penny is the workhorse in Seattle. I know they drafted him highly, and they want to run a lot, but could that mean uh, Penny is shouldering the majority of a split backfield that also includes the likes of Carson and Prosize? Yeah, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion by any means that Rashad Penny is locked into the Seahawks' bell cow role. I do think that it's in, it's obviously in his range of potential outcomes, but it's also very conceivable that Chris Carson makes himself difficult to keep off the field, even if it's only in a timeshare. Uh, Chris Carson last year reminded me a lot of DeMarco Murray. Um, he was he's a really physical runner, big uh you know, and runs like it with good versatility. We know the coaches love Chris Carson because they've been talking him up big time each of the last two off seasons. Uh, we also know that Rashad Penny never reached 20 catches in a season at San Diego State. He struggles to pass protect, and he sat behind Donnell Pumphrey for three years in college, and that's a bit of a red flag because Donnell Pumphrey is a fringe NFL player at best. Uh, and then you have C.J. Proseis and J.D. McKissick, to potentially eat into these guys' receiving work. So I've pretty much backed off drafting Rashad Penny. I got him a lot before the draft, like in the 11th round, before the actual NFL draft. Ooh. Oh. Man, I'm not I'm not taking him anymore because he goes like fourth and fifth round, uh, and I'm really not taking anyone in this backfield. Uh, and it certainly doesn't help that the Seahawks' offensive line finished 28th in uh, yards created before contact and 31st in adjusted line yards last season. Uh, so, And no matter what Brian Schottenheimer says, I think the Seahawks team is going to struggle to run the ball this year. And I think that what's likeliest to happen is, you know, they're going to be making all these minus EV moves and they're going to fall behind in games and they're going to have to, you know, give the ball to Russ and him and Doug Baldwin are going to go have to score points in the second half week in and week out. 
to, to get this team back in games. Man, yeah, um, geez, like I'm all about Rashad Penny and Dynasty just because, you know, it, it's fine. It's not a deep draft and there's volume there and sure, go for it, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's only one dude on Seattle I'm drafting in, in best ball and redraft and it's, it's Doug Baldwin just because on the sheer necessity of target volume, he's going to have to pull down there, you know, like Tyler Lockett late. In best ball, like, fine, you know, I'm okay with that. But, yeah, I mean, I just don't feel like paying premium draft picks for guys on bad offenses that haven't proven they can pass, protect, or block and and keep and sustain drives at this point. And we haven't seen anything. I, like, even run, like, man, I, I, I have two football jerseys. Having Jay Cutler throw that in the trash and uh <laughs> and and Russell Wilson and and he's just my favorite all-time quarterback but I'm just not taking him either because you don't need to now with the likes of Deshaun Watson, Tom Brady falling, Cam Newton right there like you just don't have to bet on bad offenses now. So Doug Baldwin and everything else is almost just not on my list period. Yeah, I've got a bunch of locket but I'm with you. Those are and, and you mentioned, you know, that earlier. Those are the two Seahawks that, that I'm drafting. Doug Baldwin in the third round, and Tyler Lockett like in the 13th round. And that's it. All right, Evan, uh, Shark Tank app idea that does not exist today. So this is super, super lame, but I've never even seen Shark Tank. I, I think it's a TV show, right? I mean, I, I, I've seen it. Uh, this is what happens. I, I, I'm like scrolling through the guide, you know, and I see, ooh, Shark Tank. Is this about sharks? <laughs> and, then, and then I turn it on. It's like these people. And I... You know, I'm like, I, I do not want to watch this. You know, I want to watch like Shark Week or something. Um, <laughs> I, but I barely even know what it is. Is it a Mark Cuban thing? Yeah. So it's, it's Mark okay. Cuban, Mr. Wonderful. Uh, the, the, uh, I, already, I already forget his name and people are going to yell at me. The dude that owns FUBU, uh, a couple other people, they basically go up there and, and entrepreneurs go up there and pitch their business to them to get the, any one of them to invest in their business, basically. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I might have watched like a half a show once, but it was like a while ago, and I'd like blocked that out of my memory. It, it's I, a I good just, show for like, like busy work. Now because I always think it's going to be about sharks every time I click on it, <laughs> but it's not. All right. So, yeah, it's 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 good for like if you're – you know, if you're knee deep in doing analysis and research for an article, it doesn't work. But, you know, if you're just scrolling through, looking at draft teams, you know, taking a look at your exposure, things like that, like it's good to watch in the background so long as you can be a little bit distracted there. Um, so, yeah, I guess they just get free pub on the show, apparently, not that they need it. Boom. <laughs> We'll move on from there. Better season. Um, okay, we've got a lightning round here. Marcus Goodwin or Pierre Garçon? Garçon. Yeah, so if we're just going off their 2017 on-off splits, Pierre Garçon was on pace for 144 targets last year but before he got hurt. And he's apparently fully healthy now. He's expected to be ready for camp. He participated in OTAs and minicamp. 144 targets last year would have been eighth most in the league. And he was playing with Brian Hoyer and C.J. Beathard during that time, those targets should be much more efficient with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Marquise Goodwin averaged 2.9 catches for 49 yards per game with Pierre Garçon in the lineup last year. And then he went all the way up to four and a half catches for 77 yards per game after Garçon went on on IR. I do like Goodwin, uh, and I've drafted him a decent amount in best ball. I think that his skill set fits the best ball format. Uh, I like him when he when I can get him like in the late seventh round. Uh, but I think that Garcon is a much better bet for a big volume year, and he's 
maybe my favorite eighth round pick in fantasy leagues right now, Peter Garcon. I don't have enough here. I took the Goodwin side on this, and I I need to I need to leverage myself on this because yeah, this thing could very easily be Frenchy, and I don't I don't see why not. It's almost like I've just been betting on him getting hurt, and that's not very predictive, right? So yeah, I I need to I need to better expose myself there. Uh, here's the next: uh, Dion Lewis or your man Rex Burkhead. The touchdown upside really gives Rex Burkhead a big edge here. Uh, Deion Lewis is going to be useful, I think, in PPR leagues as like an RB2 slash flex. But Rex Burkhead has double-digit touchdowns uh, in his range. He's awesome in the passing game among running backs who drew at least 30 targets last season. Only Alvin Kamara averaged more yards per route run than Rex Burkhead. Uh, Rex Burkhead ran routes on 52% of his snaps. Uh, he can line up in the slot. He can help replace Julian Edelman early in the season. Uh, and he should be the Patriots' goal line back. You know, he was last year. So I'm going with Rex Burkhead. Every time that I don't get Rex Burkhead in a draft, I'm like, that draft was a failure. <laughs> Sony, Sony Michelle or Derek Henry? Again, TD upside, I think, is the deciding factor, and that goes to Derek Henry. Uh, we had the Titans with the seventh softest schedule in the league this year. They have one of the NFL's better offensive lines. Neither of these guys is going to be a true every down back. We know that. But uh, Derrick Henry just gives you a much higher ceiling, I think. And there's definitely some risk that if Sony Michelle starts fumbling, he could get banished to the bench, and the Patriots would just roll with Rex Burkhead and James White or you know Jeremy Hill or Mike Gillisley. Um, Sony Michelle fumbled 12 times at Georgia, and he had one of the highest fumble rates in this year's running back class. So I like the, the floor and the ceiling of Derrick Henry better right now. Now, let's say you're not drafting on draft and you're heading over to MFL 10s where you're getting the full PPR. Would that at any, would that at all change uh, your slant to Dion over Rex or Michelle over Henry? Nope. Same deal uh, in both spots. I mean, I don't think that Sony Michelle is going to be catching many passes this year. He had nine catches last year at Georgia. I think that his reception projection is about the same as Derrick Henry's, really. Good stuff there. Yeah, and I brought that up because on MFL 10, Lewis goes before Rex, Michelle goes before Henry, and, you know, we we, we took the, the banger versus the PPR in both of these scenarios where the PPR guy is, is going higher than the other guy there. So, yeah, I'm with you on Rex and Derrick Henry here. So uh, good, good stuff there. This next one here, Evan, both of these guys should project to get more volume. Both of them should project to get more points than last year. It's Eli Manning and the aforementioned Mitch Trubisky. Which way are you going? You know, there's definitely an argument to be made for Eli. I just I cannot stomach him. <laughs> um, the, the argument and the argument is all about his weapons. It's certainly not about, you know, what he has done for us lately. You know, what he was like one of the worst quarterbacks in football last year. Um, but, you know, Mitchell Trubisky's weapons have a chance to be pretty darn good, too, with Allen Robinson, Trey Burton, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, Tarek Cohen. And I like the rushing upside yep. that Mitchell Trubisky offers. Uh, he was top 12 among quarterbacks in rushing yards last year. That rushing can stabilize his floor week to week and raise his ceiling. So I've been taking Mitchell Trubisky over Eli Manning to this point, and I don't expect that to change. As of I, and you, you, you nailed it when you're talking about the rushing upside. Like it's just, it's, it's a guaranteed extra two to four points a week. And that's great. Yep. You know what I mean? Like take that all day. And I'm, I'm going to be 
candid, Evan. I mean, I just love just waiting and waiting and waiting at QB, getting five running backs, getting, you know, five wide receivers, uh, mm-hmm. then moving over to tight end and just taking Tannehill, Manning, Trubisky, and just getting all three of the, the these guys, between the three of them, right? Like, you're going to get more top 12 weeks than, than not. You know what I mean? And I'm perfectly fine with that strategy, especially in a best ball redraft. Uh, yeah, you're streaming at that point. I'm with you. Uh, last one on the lightning round here we'll do Darius Geis or Joe Mixon here. Joe Mixon losing weight. Um, not like the aforementioned Jarek McKinnon gaining weight here, hitting the muscles. So what do we got? I love both of these guys coming out of school. I thought that just based on their college tape, Joe Mixon was a better running back prospect than Christian McCaffrey last year. Um, and Darius Geis reminded me of Ezekiel Elliott coming out of LSU. In both cases, these guys are going to be dealing with quality pass catching backs that could eat into their passing game work though. Uh, you know, Giovanni Bernard with Joe Mixon and Chris Thompson with Darius Geis. I'm going to slightly lean Joe Mixon here. Um, just in terms of like straight up rankings. But I'm getting way more Darius Geis than Joe Mixon right now because Geis is cheaper, and I think it's very, very close between them. Yeah, so I'm with you there as well, and I feel like I I don't know which way to go with it. And also with the back backups. Like I have more Gio Bernard than Chris Thompson, generally because he's simply cheaper. Um, way cheaper. Yeah, and, and I, I'd be damned to tell you if I really had a good grasp on whether it's going to be Geis or Mixon or Thompson or Gio, I – like, I think Geo has more innate rush ability, so I go that direction. But then it's also like I'm betting against Joe Mixon in order for that to happen. And I don't know if that's the right mindset because they can certainly coexist and should if coaching did what they were supposed to do here. Like, I think Geis is going to coexist with Thompson. Um, but, yeah, I, I just – I guess it's it's Joe and Geo there. What is it, it Geo for you two? Um, yeah, I – uh, taking a decent amount of, of Giovanni Bernard late, uh, late actually. You know, anytime I can get him in the 12th or 13th, uh, I love making him my RB5. Very good. All right, Evan, take a favorite or popular movie. Change one letter in the title. What is the new plot? What's it all about? All right, Jeremy. You know, I, I saw this on the show sheet, and the only movie that popped into my mind was Jaws. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty much out on the movie scene, sadly. I, I haven't gone to a movie in like at least a year. Uh, and the only movie that I like right now is Jaws. And I couldn't figure out anything creative involving the name Jaws. So I'm just going to throw this one back to you, man. <laughs> All right. So we get, so we got Jaws here. Uh, we, we already talked about Shark Tank, but that'd probably be a little bit too easy. Like, first thing, like, I'd take Jaws and I want to make it Claws. Uh, but that's actually a movie, a, a TV show, I think on TNT or USA or something. It's pretty bad, by the way. Um, but we'll, we'll take Jaws Laws and we'll, we'll make Jaws Laws. And it's, it's basically a, a movie about sharks that continuously get attacked, uh, by just frequent raiders of the sea that are out to get them for their teeth and to sell them on the streets. Um, and it, it's all about a guy going out there and defending the life of the sharks in the movie Laws and really just rallies behind all of the sharks and just gets them all together to 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 pummel the humans, I guess. 
because they're going extinct or something like that. I don't know. I, I did my that, best. Excellent. Excellent. I, I would pass on that movie too, just as I have passed in every movie for the last <laughs> year, except for Jaws. <laughs> oh, what a classic movie, by the way, though. Uh, you, you young kids out there, make sure you see Jaws. I, I bet you, Evan, yeah. it's, pr- it's probably pretty bad, right? Like, I haven't seen Jaws in years. But I'm willing to bet, like, it does not have very good replayability at this point. Like, if you go oh, back. Oh, dude. Uh, oh, you're wrong. Dude. Oh, no. Am I really? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's still awesome. It's, it's still awesome. I, I, I watched it somewhat recently, and um, I take my daughter uh, every summer to Cape Cod. Uh, it was actually filmed, I think, in, in Murtha's Vineyard, which is about an hour away from where we stay. Um, and I really wanted to show it to her, but no one would let me because they knew that she wouldn't even go in the water if, if, you know, if I showed it to her, but I, I need to show it to her. Probably not when we're at Cape Cod, but she needs to see it. You know, she's getting to that age. She's six now. So it's time. So true, true story. I have been to the ocean once, maybe twice. I have never actually stepped my foot in the ocean and I never flip and will, Evan. Like, I've just, <laughs> there's only one fear I have. Like, I've jumped out of perfectly good airplanes before. That's all fine, right? But, like, the ocean scares the shit out of me, right? Like, I don't know what's in that water. Like, I do. There's a million different things undiscovered that is in that water that I just don't, I don't want to deal with that. And we talked about having to go to the bathroom earlier with RSJ. Like, I don't want to get bit by something and have a friend pee on my leg. Like, that's just, uh, I don't want that. I don't want that. Right. Well, there there are things in the ocean that were here long before we came here, you know, and that those are the the kind of animals that scare me, like the the animals that were here, you know, this was their planet before we got here, and you know, sharks fall into that category. <laughs> They're like not? dinosaurs, man, you know. One hundred percent. You know, on this before before we move on, one like I went back and I watched Commando, right? Like my favorite '80s movie. Bar none, without a doubt. And I can't lie, Evan, like, I didn't like it. It was just bad. Like, Uh, I don't know. That's why I'm scared to go back and watch these nostalgic films that used to be mm -hmm. my favorite that just are now, like, just so bad. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger coming in, of course, with this cue on cue, like, throws a guy off the cliff and you oh, uh, you got to stop hanging around or something like that. Like, I just, I can't do it anymore. I'm scared. I'm going to watch Jaws. I'm doing it for you or Laws, okay. one of the two. We'll let you know. Uh, last but certainly not least, your too early sizzling hot take for the eighteen nineteen season. Yeah, my hot take is that Taewon Taylor finishes as a top 30 fantasy receiver. Um, you can get him in the last round of the draft almost every time. So Matt LaFleur comes over from the Rams. The Rams, with LaFleur as their offensive coordinator, ran three receiver, 11 personnel on uh, 81% of their plays, over 90% of their pass plays, the highest rates in the league. So Taewon Taylor is in line to be a full-time player in the slot for the Titans between Corey Davis and Rashard Matthews. Corey Davis, you know, he's the guy with all the hype. Rashard Matthews is, I think, a real solid pick in, like, the 11th round. Um, and last year, Cooper Cup was the Ram slot receiver. He led the team in targets. He led the team in red zone targets. He was the wide receiver 27. And I like Taewon Taylor better as a prospect than Cooper Cup coming out of college. And I don't think the Titans were very far off because they took Taewon Taylor exactly three spots in the draft after Cooper Cup went. Uh, I, th- I thought that Taewon Taylor reminded me a lot of Emmanuel Sanders. 
when he was coming out of Western Kentucky, where he was super, super productive. He had a great three cone time. He's built to play in the slot. I mean, he, he played he, and he ran uh, 61% of his routes in the slot last year. Um, I think, you know, the risk for this is that if like the Titans go sign Des Bryant and then they put Richard Matthews in the slot, which I do think that there's some possibility of that, or they just put Des in the slot. You know, that's another thing. You know, some people, some people have suggested that that could be a possibility. Uh, but that's my biggest fear right now for Taewon Taylor. But if he, if he can impress the rest of the way, I think that he's going to be a breakout player in the Titans offense. Boom. Yes, that is where it ends. Taewon Taylor, top 30. Here we go. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a word of his podcast dedicated to answering your fantasy football questions. Look, if you got questions you want answered, hit us up via email, wordofhisradio at gmail.com or on Twitter at wordofhisradio. Use the hashtag RVMailbag. Evan, man, the, the czar of Roto World, as Ross likes to say, 36 and 0 right now. Hopefully not 36 and 1 here. Uh, just appreciate you carving out the time. Uh, tell us what's going on here upcoming. Yeah, I'm just finishing up. I've been doing these team fantasy previews. I'm about to finish the Titans. We're recording this on Thursday night, July 19th. I'm about to publish it after we're done with this. And then I got the Redskins. And then I'm going to put out a top 150. And then, uh, you know, in terms of uh, just straight rankings. And then I'm going to try to fit in uh, breakout candidates. Um, I had I did one last year. It had a bunch of uh, great breakout guys like uh, Carson Carson Wentz was on there. Uh, I'm going to try to do another one uh, this year before training camp really heats up. And then, man, it's like you know it's full steam ahead for six months. You know, I'm I'm kind of dreading it, but. Once you're in it, it's so exciting that you, you never really look back. It's it's time to it's almost time to get that computer from Elon Musk. Uh, maybe a Shark Tank app that'll uh, make that happen for you to, to lessen on that load a little bit upcoming here because football is almost here. It is back, baby, and we are thankful to have an at Evan Silva on the show. And do not forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. It means a lot. I'm Jeremy Hart at Fantasy Gumshoe. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Road of His Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag or Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email, roadofhisradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio and at Fantasy Gumshoe. Tell your friends about us, and do not forget to sign up for a 30% discount through our podcast homepage on roadofhis.com. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Sir, yes, sir! Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. 
This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub, drink, and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub, salad, or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.